Welcome to Overdue Classics, the podcast for all the books you should have read already. I'm Brandon LeBlanc, joined by Andrea Lukinski and Matt Bianco. Um, thank you both for joining me. Thank you all for joining us for Alcibiades One. We've read to 124B this week, and we'll pick up the second half next week. And so I would like to start out with Matt just giving us a little bit of a quick narrative of this first half of the dialogue. Yeah, so I think uh, it basically starts off with Socrates and uh, I pronounce it Alcibiades, but Alcibiades, whatever. Um, Socrates approaches Alcibiades and the uh, question of course is what, why are you, why am I back? Why am I, I've been ignoring you, but kind of not like I've been watching, I've been watching you. I know what's going on in your life and now I'm back. And Socrates essentially says that he's back because all of the people who had been suiting suitors of Alcibiades have abandoned him. And yet Alcibiades still shows hope for pursuing the good. And so Alcibiades is now ready to offer that to him. He says his daemon has been preventing him from doing so until now because Alcibiades wasn't willing to listen. Now he will be. And then he starts, um, he tries to ask Alcibiades what his goals or what his plans are, but Alcibiades doesn't want to say, uh, Apparently, Alcibiades is an ambitious man and doesn't want to admit that to Socrates. So Socrates then says, okay, well, I'll tell you what you're planning to do. And then basically reveals all of his ambitions to him. And and his ambitions include going to the Senate, uh, to the assembly of the Greeks, and through his rhetoric, basically talking himself into a position of authority and leadership amongst the mm-hmm. Athenians. And then Socrates tries to explain to him that he's not really, or tries to talk to him through his dialectical ways and try to reveal to Alcibiades, help Alcibiades to see that he's not actually ready for such authority and for such leadership, for the power that would come from all of that, which uh, Alcibiades, Alcibiades finds it very difficult to accept initially. He has lots of arguments about why he's ready um, such as he's already better than all of the other Athenians. And, you know, so I'm ready to do this. Uh, and, and Socrates has to change his folk, his attention from, for in the, in that act of comparison, he said, he argues that Alcibiades is comparing himself to the wrong, to the wrong people. So then uh, gets him to the point, I think where Alcibiades is uh, what, what we would call mm-hmm. metanoia, he has this kind of moment of repentance and where he realizes, okay, maybe I'm not as great as I think I am. So what's, what does that mean now? What do we do next? And that takes us into the second part. All right. So the the question I want to start us off with is why and why now? Why this point in Akibiati's, uh life? And we'll all get to practice our Greek pronunciation on this show a lot, I think. So we got that to look forward to. Um, mm-hmm. But why this point to come back into Akibiati's life Uh what do we see from the text for why Socrates comes back? Uh, and is there any difference between the reasons he gives and maybe thinks he's kind of keeping up his sleeve a little bit or not? As if Socrates keeps things up his sleeve. Come on. Togas have huge, Togas right have there, huge sleeves, man. Puts himself right in front of everyone. There's so much sleeves. <laughs> Togas have huge sleeves. <laughs> I like the way Al Kibiades asks him, what do you hope to achieve by bothering me? You always make always making sure you're there wherever I am. Yeah. yeah and so like and, and Socrates just won't answer. He keeps going back and forth, making sure he has his full attention before he'll answer that question. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He wants to make sure Alcibiades is fully invested, but asking the question himself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Where he gets him to tell me, please, I will pay attention. Right. <laughs> oh, speak! I must then. Mm-hmm. There it comes. And I, the part that I caught out of this long passage then is: you want your reputation and your influence to saturate all mankind, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He recognized. He seems to clearly recognize. Like Matt mentioned, the 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 ambition um, that Akibiades has, um, but hasn't maybe said out loud to anyone. But Socrates has mm-hmm. picked up on it 
Um, and it's pretty expansive, right? Like to, it gets like to the point that you say, if you couldn't have the kind of influence you're wanting, you'd rather just die now, basically. Right. That's pretty intense. Yeah, I'll die. <laughs> it's, um, it's interesting that, that, that moment right there is interesting to me for Socrates because the, the plan apparently, the, like the ambition of it or whatever from, from Alcibiades perspective is something that he apparently hasn't admitted to himself. Mm. He hasn't spoken it out loud to himself. Like he's, he's thought about what his plans are. I'm going to go to the assembly and I'm going to give this speech or whatever, but he hasn't said out loud to himself, even I think what his real designs are. And so when Socrates asks him, there's this hesitancy to say it Mm. because if he says it out loud to Socrates, he's saying it out loud to himself. Mm. And then he has, he's essentially admitting all of this, but Mm. So, so, so basically what you have is this, this moment where Alcibiades hasn't even admitted to himself what his real plans are, I think. Mm-hmm. And then, but then Socrates knows them unsaid, unstated, mm-hmm. even to himself. Socrates knows what they are. So there's this, this moment there, I think, for both reader and Alcibiades mm-hmm. when you realize Socrates kind of peers into the soul and sees something in the soul of, of, of another person, or at least somebody he loves <clears throat> like Alcibiades mm-hmm. and is able to see something about him that Alcibiades hasn't even admitted to himself. It's very interesting. Do you think to, to, to think like somebody being able to do that to you, to look at you and know what you're really, what you're really thinking. Mm-hmm. It's scary. I'll put this to both of you. Do you think, as you're saying that, do you think that um, Alcibiades hasn't, hasn't, it said it out loud to himself or said it out loud period because he, he recognizes in some sense, this is a pretty grandiose goal and that people might, uh, is there something, does he have any, any, any feeling that his own ambition may be too big, right? That it's a, that's a, it's a wrong ambition. Or does he just think that it's one that others might try and thwart if it's said out loud or even Socrates in particular might mm-hmm. not want him to pursue like a, a, a I don't know, like, why Why hasn't he said it out loud to himself even? or And he comes to this realization now. I kind of wonder if he's just been on a trajectory, right? The unspoken trajectory. I don't know what myth he's heard and he's living into, right? I mean, they get into part of that, some of those here. Um, to where is, is he just doing the next thing, the next thing of achievement and achievement and achievement? And that's the next thing he's supposed to do. Um, mm-hmm. You know that that mm-hmm. all the stories lead that direction. Uh, you know that, that this is where when, if you're on this playground at this age, you're going to be on that playground at that age, and I'm mm-hmm. just going to the next playground. Um, and so I don't have to state mm-hmm. it out loud. This is just understood in my culture where mm-hmm. I'm headed. But when he makes him draw it out, when Socrates draws it out of him, now I got to do something with that. He's tall and beautiful, mm-hmm. so, he, so he should be like one of the heroes <laughs> in, in the epics because they reference the epics, right? Like. He should right. have some kind of greatness to him, like one of these guys, Achilles or Odysseus or Ajax or something. Even greater. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Is he just kind of following the path that anybody in his basic social status right. would would follow? But if that's the case, then what? Why? Why be hesitant to admit that if you're just doing what you're supposed to do? Unless it's like one of those things where you're supposed to do it, but you're not supposed to want to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, like one of the frustrating things in the United States, for example, is, you know, people running for president, you don't, you don't, you want somebody, you don't want somebody who wants to be president. You want somebody who's willing to be president kind of thing. Right. Like Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's part of our myth, right. Is that, Mm -hmm you take on the mantle of responsibility because you're supposed to, because you have to, not because you want to, Mm -hmm. Uh, the wanting of it is the, is the negative. Mm -hmm. As as I understand it, I mean, I don't don't know that he used the word ambition in here, but I don't remember. Oh, there it is. Yeah. What what then is your real ambition in life? One Oh five B. So um, the, uh, I mean, my understanding is the ambition, you know, for them is kind of a negative um, we don't, in, you know, we Americans don't necessarily use it that way today, but in, uh, in his day, I think ambition kind of, I mean, carried with it a negative connotation to begin with. So, 
um, there's that might be that that you're allowed to to take to have the you're allowed to get the authority have it given to you but you're not allowed to want it go take it that's maybe that's why he can't say it yeah yeah it's yeah it's interesting that would be unnerving mm-hmm. this is a yet unpublished forward to a yet unpublished book but but david hicks talks about that word ambition that is the there's the Latin one, and then the, I can't I can't remember what the Greek one is. Um, having kind of these ambiguous meanings over time uh, and being used differently, but always in there was there the, at least the at least the potential for this kind of negative view of someone who's we we would call it overly ambitious, right? Um, um, although although yeah. as Americans we tend to embrace it even more, right? Like we don't even we don't even accept this idea of of reaching beyond your your station, um, which would have been something that, you know, uh, our predecessors would have, would have accepted as a kind of a norm. Um, but he doesn't seem shy about it, like just claiming that he's better than, than his peers, at least in, in Athens, um, early on, like just, he's not embarrassed to say that he has just more natural talent and more and more, and he's the handsomest and the tallest, I guess. Let's just go hand in hand for him. But right, those are obvious and familial connections and yeah, yeah. networking mm-hmm. opportunities and yeah, all that like stuff. It, and it was all the right people. It takes a pretty stark contrast with like Spartan kings and then Persian kings for for Socrates to kind of knock him down a peg a little bit and cause him to hesitate. When, and that's an important moment, right? Because up till then, he's comparing himself to the other Athenians, and he's obviously and clearly better than all of them. But then right. Socrates says, Socrates says, well, yeah, that, that might be your competition to get into power, but once you're in power, they're not your competition anymore. Your competition is the king of Sparta, the king of Persia, right? Can you keep mm-hmm. up with them? You know, mm-hmm. And of course, he initially thinks he can. Until Socrates says, well, they have this much wealth and they have, you know, this much power and this much big of an army. And, you know, their the mother has mm-hmm. this much land and you don't even own a tenth of that or whatever. <laughs> right, right. The queen's garments are paid for with entire entire uh, fields of, of grain. So I think your opening question, Brandon, was why do we why is Socrates coming to him at this point? Yeah, yeah, why now? Um so if I go to one oh five E. He says, I'm hoping for the same thing from you as you are from the Athenians. I hope to exert great influence over you by showing you that I'm worth the world to you and that nobody is capable of providing you with the influence you crave. Neither your guardian nor your relatives nor anybody else except me with the God's help, of course. And when you were younger, before you were full of such ambitions, I think the God didn't let me talk to you because the conversation would have been pointless. But now he's told me to, because now you will listen to me. It, it, it's time. Yeah. But I think by whatever that is, mm-hmm. the God's uh, approving it now, there was something then, whenever then was, when he was a child, that has had him paying Socrates paying attention to Alcibiades for years. Yeah. Knowing this was coming. Yeah. Um, It's interesting that you said that before you were full of such ambitions, right? There's almost a sense that all the other lovers of him that have kind of come and gone may have puffed up that ambition to some extent as he, it seems like I can't, I don't know the spot now. It seems like it almost says that, he he outpaced the people who were kind of fawning over him early on where they're not they're not really his equals and so they kind of all fallen away mm. do we think there's a there's kind of a tacit admission here from our acknowledgement here from socrates that he is going to go into the senate and be able to woo people and have a great career there and mm. and then he's going to be up against spartans and persians and so this is that's why it's important at this point and he doesn't seem to. I don't know history. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't seem to argue with him too much. The fact that he's he's superior to some of his peers in Athens, or many of his peers in Athens. Mm-hmm. That's why I wonder if that this is why he came to him at this point, right? Because he's about to launch into this career, 
and this is the now that he's kind of free from other hangers on, it's his it's his chance to to have some influence over Alcibiades. The isn't there some sense in this first part that well, no, okay, I think that's right. In the in this first part, I think that's that's right that that he's going to have he's going to have a, attention and authority or at least the opportunity to speak to the Athenians and possibly the Spartans and the Persians. And if he's going to do that, then he needs to know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and Socrates, I mean, his first kind of mode of attack is you don't know what you're mm-hmm. talking about. What are you going to go talk to them about? Wrestling? No. Why would I talk to them about wrestling? But, but you know wrestling. Are you going to talk to him about playing the liar? No. Why would I talk about playing the liar? Well, because that's what you know. <laughs> you know, and he just kind of goes through this list and then basically says, "Oh, you're going to talk to them about you're going to talk to them about uh, justice." Okay, well, when did you learn about justice? Because I never saw you learn it, and you didn't know it when you were younger, but you thought you did. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because that that section there, like one ten one ten C. And he goes mm-hmm. to that whole mm-hmm. that whole story about the the one time Alcibiades was playing some game knuckle mm-hmm. bones, and then one of the other boys cheated, and he called him a cheater. And Socrates is like, "Oh, so you you that back then you thought you knew what justice was, right?" And then Alcibiades says, "But I did know by Zeus. I saw clearly that they were cheating me. So it seems that even as a child, you thought you understood justice and injustice. Yes, and I did understand. And." Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he says, well, okay, so then when, at what point did you find it out? Surely it wasn't when you thought you knew. But there's the thing, right? That's the key right there, right? If you think you know something, you can't, you won't pursue actually coming to know it. Right? I already have it. Because you already yeah. have it. So what do you, you don't, you don't go get knowledge of justice if you already have mm-hmm. knowledge of justice. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, in, I think in that sense, like if you think about it from what Socrates is trying to point out to Alcibiades is that he doesn't even know himself and, mm-hmm. but he thinks he knows himself, but Socrates actually knows him better. Right. When Socrates can point out to him, Oh, I know what you're doing. I know what your ambitions are. Then, uh, then, you know, Socrates knows Alcibiades better than Alcibiades knows himself. And now he's now he's bringing up a situation in time when Alcibiades thought he knew what justice was, and didn't. Just kind of breaking down knowledge in that section, right? That kind of that part there. Hmm. Yeah, well, what is what is coming to know? When does it happen? It goes from that, you know, knowing this that stuff from school because he only studied three things. Mm. That was it. That's all you know anything about. Um. To then he gets to 111 just before the B. Don't you see that somebody who is going to teach anything must first know it himself? All right. So now how do you teach? Well, you have to know to teach. And so then he goes on from that. Um, and he jumps it to sick and healthy men. Mm-hmm. What are they able to teach us? Um, at, where is that? 111E. But he kind of loses him at that point because now he, well, you say this or you said that. So now he's got to pull him back in um, to figure out who's determining things, the answerer or the questioner. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so this is where like he, I found it very interesting at uh, 113D. <laughs> um, he, Socrates tells him, your scheme, my good fellow, is crazy. And so I feel like he's trying to, I'm not sure what he's trying to do there. I just noticed it. And then to, you know, down in E, he says, um, what a way of carrying on. So I didn't know what's happened. What has shifted here? I noticed the language has changed, but I'm not sure if I understood it. I have that underlined in blue, that what a way of carrying on section. Um, mm-hmm. Is it just amused me? Like, cause he had to walk him through, identifying what the different areas of knowledge were like, you know, knowing something musically or health or whatever um, to get Mm -hmm. him to come to the justice part. And then he gives him another, basically he's, 
he's saying, you want me to do the whole exercise again to prove to you that this thing doesn't work as well. Like it's the same proof. You don't, you're, you're wanting a fresh right. proof. And so that part was just, yeah. it was just hilarious. He's like, uh, as if the previous one were a worn out scrap of clothing that you refuse to wear again. No, you want an immaculate brand new proof. Uh, and just kind of um, the, the mix of when Socrates kind of pulls him along. And when he just tells him, when he kind of confronts him a little bit more, more aggressively, like you said, he taught telling you know, you've answered all the questions. I haven't answered. These are all your answers, not mine. Mm -hmm. Um, And then here he's like, you need me to go through the whole thing again. You can't work out in your head. That's a, it's the same proof for the thing we just discussed. So I find his, his kind of back and forth between kind of coaxing him along and then confronting him with his own foolishness. Interesting. The, uh, the, the whole argument about agreement is interesting too, that, that we all, we, everybody will agree that this shirt is, you know, that person's shirt is red because that's just easy. It's easy for us to know that, but justice is not. So justice people, you know, you ask five people and you'll get five different answers on what justice is. Uh, there's not a lot of agreement there. And he, so, I mean, he he uses this example in one o or one twelve, one twelve uh, at the end of B going into C. Mm-hmm. So he says, "Aren't these poems talking about the Iliad and the Odyssey? Aren't these poems all about disagreements over justice and injustice?" Yes, it was over this sort of disagreement that the Achaeans and the Trojans fought battles and lost their lives, as did Odysseus and the suitors of Penelope. So Odysseus and the suitors of Penelope disagreed on justice and injustice, and that's what led to the to the fight and the death. Interesting. And then and then he goes on. He says, "Are we to say in, at D here? Are we to say that people understand something if they disagree so much about it that in their disputes with each other they resort to such extreme measures? Obviously not. But it's interesting because at this point they're disagreeing with each other about." Alcibiades, right? Alcibiades says he's this kind of a person who knows and can go speak on justice to the assembly. And so I would just say, no, you're not. So even there on the, the nature of Alcibiades, there's disagreement, right? Which is interesting. And then are they going to war over it? Kind of. I mean, they're fighting a battle over mm-hmm. it for, you know, they're fighting a battle. I, Your scheme, my good fellow, is crazy. Yeah. I think you could say that Socrates is fighting a battle for the soul of Alcibiades right here, right now. Lives mm-hmm. might be lost over it. Mm-hmm. And then that's when up. Socrates, I think Alcibiades is actually doing what somebody who's getting backed into a corner would do. Okay. Like he's being forced to, to see who he really is. And his only recourse is, well, you say these things. You say these things. Yeah. You say these things. Deflect, deflect, yeah. deflect. I need a new argument. I need a new argument. I'm not, I can't use that argument. You can't use that argument again. I mean, it's old. Right? Mm-hmm. All the stuff you guys were just describing. Yeah. 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 And then he, when he finally gets him to admit that you're the one giving the answers, you know, page or two later in 114D, going into E, Akibiades tries to like turn it. No, no, no. You, you answer. I'll, I'll ask the questions. And he's like, what, don't you want to be completely convinced? And wouldn't you be completely convinced if you yourself said, yes, that's how it is. So it's like, no, no, I can't convince you. Only you can convince. It's, it's almost playing back into that ego, right? Like I'm not gonna be able to convince you. You have to work out and convince yourself what is right. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't let Akibia yeah. just kind of turn it on him. And he makes him keep answering the questions. Uh, Cause he's trying to get out of that corner. Right? He's trying to not be the one answering questions anymore. Now that he's had to, admit that he was the one that gave the answers. He's in a new corner. It's like, okay, okay, I'm going to push you into a corner. And Socrates just kind of, well, you won't know anything. You try to push me in the corner. You have to answer the questions yourself. Yeah. So. I, I suppose it depends on the type of person, but admitting your weaknesses is much more difficult than, than propping up your strengths. And, 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 you know, for other people, the flip, right? Some people find it very difficult to say good things about themselves and then mm-hmm. and find it very easy to, say bad things about themselves, but neither of those people is knowing themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You need to speak, and, be able to speak truly about yourself in both directions. And I think it's pretty clear in this case that he falls into that first category, right? Because Akibiades is handsome and he's got good bloodlines on both sides. And it's and like, 
And I think one of the ways Socrates kind of gets rid of all that up for, is up to up front acknowledge all those things, right? And say, yeah, I mean, basically acknowledge that. And doesn't really push back on him even when he says that he's already smarter and better than all the other Athenians. In the very slide. beginning, doesn't he say in 104b, he mentions all these qualities, right? From your body right up to your soul, he says, you're the tallest, the best looking, leading family, the greatest city, aristocratic friends, aristocratic relations. Uh, and then he talks about his parentage, his guardians, mm -hmm. uh, powerful mm -hmm. allies, um, your wealth. And then he says, but I think that's the least of the reasons you hold yourself in high esteem. You bragged about all those things and got the better of your suitors. They didn't measure up and came off the worst. The worst. You knew what was going on. So he he gives this whole list of things, right? And then says, but these are the real reasons you hold your, yourself in high esteem. You know what's going on. Is is he is that true? Or is he just like saying that yeah. so that it becomes easier to admit that? It was easier for Alcibiades to admit it later in the conversation because he's already been accused, as it were, of being the type of person who would who would know who would know what was going on. Mm. I didn't see that the first time or the second time. Yeah, I read it. I, it stood out to me because a, a, a while back I was oh at the at the at a regional conference recently I was I gave a talk on First Corinthians and I noticed that. In the opening lines, the first Corinthians, Paul says that they are united. They're all one in Christ with the whole, all the churches in all the world. They're one body in Christ, he says to the Corinthians. And then he goes on to say, nonetheless, you're divided. Right? You, some of you are saying you're a Paul. Some of you are saying you're of Apollo, Cephas, whatever, right? I'm of Christ. And then, you know, he spends the rest of the letter going through all their divisions, right? And then he, and then at the end, he's exhorting them to, unity and it's like he's saying you are one you are united but you're not acting like it okay now act like it but by saying that they are that then it, it it's easier to become more of that like to think that i am this thing makes it easier mm -hmm. for me to kind of lean into it and become that thing or more of that thing be a better version mm -hmm. of that thing and i wonder if that's something like that what socrates is doing here you know what's going on mm -hmm. But now we're going to talk about how you don't actually know what's going on. But then hopefully I'm going to get you to see that you that you can know what's going on, right? And then accept the identity that he's been that he was given at the beginning of the dialogue. Yeah, son of Clinius. Along with that destined greatness, right? Like the, these other suitors came and they didn't measure up to you, and so they 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 like he knew he was being kind of pursued by people that were lesser in some way or another. Uh, it, it plays that way too. Like, you know what's going on, then you don't know what's going on. And he's going to bring them through all the ways he's not actually sufficient for uh, the mm -hmm. greatness that maybe he's, he's heading toward uh, or trying to head toward. So with the passage you read, Matt, and, uh, I'm going to read the passage that comes after that by Alcibiades. I feel like, are they, are they stepping into the wrestling match and they're sizing each other up? Um, because right after the part where you were reading, um, you knew what was going on. He says, and so I'm sure you're wondering what I could possibly have in mind. Why don't I give up on you? The others have all been sent packing. So what do I hope to achieve by persisting? I could be at his response. Yes, Socrates, perhaps you don't realize what you've just taken the, that you've just taken the words out of my mouth. I had already decided to come and ask you that very question, right? Like, so now he's taking control back. Mm -hmm. I've got the upper hand mm -hmm. here. What could you have in mind? What do you hope to achieve by bothering me? Always making sure you're there wherever I am. Yes, I really do wonder what you might be up to, and I'd be very glad to find out. Hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like he's just taking back, like, I've got to be in charge of the situation. Mm -hmm. You've seen me too well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not comfortable. Once you reread that that way, that's how I'm reading that line yeah. now. Yeah, that's interesting. It's good. So then, so then jump to 114D. And Socrates says, well, what you practice on me, 
if you're so good at telling people what justice and and, and the what the just and the advantageous are, then practice on me. Convince me of what just the justice and what uh, advantageous is. And then Alcibiade says, "Stop pushing me around, Socrates." And then Socrates responds, "No. In fact, I'm going to push you around and persuade you of the opposite of what you're not willing to show me." What? How did you guys read that? Like, is this? Are they? Are they actually angry with each other? Is this friendly banter? Not banter, but like, you know, friends can get into arguments that get loud and mm-hmm. heated, but they're still yeah. friends, right? Um, mm-hmm. What? I don't know. I'm just wondering how you guys read that. But then also, of course, the, the metaphorically speaking, the pushing it takes us back to the wrestling idea, right? The, the mm-hmm. you know. Don't 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 wrestle me. No, I'm going to wrestle you. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah! Not only am I going to do it, man. I'm going to do the opposite of what you're not yeah. willing to show me. Like I'm going to I'm going to push you into the most uncomfortable space. Yeah. yeah. They they keep that's where we're going. They keep trying to get that high ground, right? Because back where you were, Andrea, uh, Socrates' response is, "Oh, yeah, exactly." So you'll probably give me your full attention then if you're really curious about what I'm doing. Right. So he, now he's getting him to commit to that. And he hasn't even given him as much to it do. It affirms that he knows him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you were going to ask the question, if you were already asking the question, then you could, then you'll listen. Yeah. Yeah. And then right after where you're at is that part where he tries to turn the table on Socrates and get him to answer questions. And Socrates doesn't, doesn't let him. Um, right. Because mm-hmm. what, what they're talking about that at that point is can something be just, but not advantageous. Right. Yeah. So, no, I think the part that you mentioned, Matt, I, I think that's just another another spin around the wrestling ring. Mm-hmm. Like, just who's in charge again? Um, because I, I like his response. Alcibiades says, just try it. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Make my day. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It, it, we talk We talk about around the Cersei, the Cersei offices and and apprenticeships and all those things about the kind of the trajectory of a lot of these dialogues is that kind of was irony. Like you're pushing someone and there's that moment of metanoia where they, they make some kind of realization. And in this one, it seems like every time he gets a Kibiotis to make any kind of realization, that's when he gets defensive. Like he gets defensive at that point. Like he just, he knows mm-hmm. he just got corrected, but then his, his response is not to like try and become more correct. <laughs> it's, it's to, is to try and turn the tables on Socrates and take control back yeah. a lot of times, which is, I think, again, I, you know, talking about getting back to the corner and a natural response. And certainly from someone who has spent most of their life being fawned over and, and being told how great they are. Right. That's a, that's a really uncomfortable position to be put in. The uh, I think what you just said, Brandon is important for, cause I think it's a good hermeneutical principle for reading, for reading, Plato, these dialogues, because because I think what you get is you get the dialogue begins with well, Socrates uses this metaphor of of being a midwife, right? The person he's talking Mm -hmm. to is giving birth to an idea, and he's helping to give helping them to give birth. He's the midwife helping them through the birthing process. But when they do, when they give birth, he takes them through this testing. He's testing the baby to see if it's real. Or in this case, to see if the idea, he's testing the idea to see if it's true. But in his analogy, in his metaphor, he gives, he says, making sure it's a real baby and not a spirit. Um, so you have this birth and then this testing, which, which as you said, Brandon, we call that the ironic stage or whatever of Socratic teaching. And then, and then if the person can have that can can come to realize that what they gave birth to was not true, then they've reached metanoia or repentance. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing is to give birth again. Again? You can't make that happen again. You've got to be born twice, once from above. <laughs> uh it's the second <laughs> the second birth. And then but then that thing, that idea that birth is given to has to go through the ironic stage again. And then if it also turns out to be a false birth, then you have you have metanoia, and then another birth, and then more ironic t- testing in the ironic, and then eventually they they arrive at they give birth to the true thing, and then they arrive at truth. 
So, okay. so, you know, it could just be one birth metanoia, second birth truth, but it could be one birth metanoia, you know, ironic, and then metanoia, another birth, ironic, metanoia, another birth, ironic, metanoia, another birth, ironic. It could just go on perpetually. So what you're looking for, I mean, what you're, what you're seeing in the dialogues is that beginning point and then, you know, the birth and then the ironic. And then sometimes they just end without ever leaving the ironic. Sometimes they go into the metanoia and then there's a new birth and more ironic. And then sometimes they arrive at truth, but rarely, usually it just ends with an, you know, several births and then an ironic, you know, the subsequent ironic testings and then the metanoia maybe. And then that's it. It just ends there. They just give up or they run out of time or whatever. So I had, I had marked that in 116 E when Alcibiades says, I swear by the God, Socrates, I have no idea what I mean. I must be in some absolutely bizarre condition. When you ask me questions, first I think one thing, and then I think something else. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, when he can say the words, I have no idea what I mean, or mm-hmm. I don't know what I thought I knew, mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of saying something along those lines. That's like the, that's uh-huh. that first metanoia, right? That first repentance. Everything I've said is probably wrong because I don't know anymore. Yeah. But okay. So that, but that next page, that whole section, 116 through uh-huh. uh, 117, 118, uh-huh. this, this is a, this is one of the most brilliant passages when it comes to knowledge, isn't it? It's so mm-hmm. good. The, the idea that, that, if I know something, uh, help me talk, walk me through this, Andrea or Brandon. What does he say? Well, because just right after you say that, he he says, Socrates says, "Are you unaware what that feeling is?" And he says, "If you someone asked you if you had two eyes or three eyes, four hands, two hands or four hands, you, uh, do you think you get different answers?" Or would you always get the same? And he's like, "I'm quite unsure of myself at this point, but I think I give the same answer." And he says, that's because you know it. Isn't that the reason? Like if you if you can give if you continue, can give the same answer every time, it's because it's something you actually know. But um if you give the conflicting answers about something without meaning to, then it's obvious that you didn't know it. And so he said, All your all your experience is the feeling of realizing that you didn't know something you thought you knew. Right? I mean, that's how I read that anyway. Yeah. So this idea that you don't waver when you when you know something. And you don't waver, you don't feel wavering when you think you know something, but you do waver when you think you know something that you don't. You, but you do waver because you give inconsistent answers, right? You give conflicting answers. Oh. Right. But then once those, like once those conflicting answers get pointed out to you, then you realize you're wavering. Right? right. So there's wavering. There's no wavering when you, when you actually know. There's wavering mm-hmm. when you think you know, but you don't because of the conflicting mm-hmm. answers, right? But then he goes mm-hmm. on to say, but you don't waver when you know you don't know. Right. 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 You don't even try. And you right? should. <laughs> so <laughs> it's brilliant, right? If there's no wavering, that's good, right? You either know the thing or you know that you don't know the thing. Yeah. You have knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knowledge of something or knowledge that I know nothing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then the wavering is the bad one. That's when you... That's when, oh, I okay. I, I don't. Maybe we're not supposed to do this, but is that what James is talking about? Is it James when he talks about not um, not being tossed to and fro with every doctrine? Right. That's your wavering. Yeah. yeah. You either know the uh-huh. truth and there's no wavering, or you know that you don't know and then there's no wavering. Right. But if you're just bouncing around, blah, blah, yeah, yeah. There's just always this always thinking you know. That's you possible. <laughs> sorry, sorry for. This is the third time I brought up something outside of the text. Look, I'm being bad. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, You're breaking, I'm breaking the my rules. own rules. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't yeah. waver. That's what he says. Well, in D, 117D, you don't waver about what yeah. you don't know if, in fact, you know that you don't know. There it is. But that one's marked in my book. I didn't know that's what you were looking for. Yeah. yeah. Same. I got it marked too. And I got a star next. I got an underline with a star. And then I got another one with three stars next to it. I don't even know what that means. I don't even know why I put three stars next to it. <laughs> And then and he says that it goes on to say that's what causes errors in our in how we act, right? Is are caused by this kind of errors that errors in our conduct are caused by this kind of ignorance, thinking that we know when we don't know. 
it goes back to your mm. point, right? If you, if you know, and you're right, if you know the right thing, then you act rightly. If you know that you don't know, then you're not going to take action because you don't know the right a- a- action, right? You don't, you don't know what to do. Um, mm-hmm. But if you think you know, and you don't know, then you're going to act wrongly. And so it's, it's, again, it's in that yeah. wavering space where we make the biggest mistakes. And then he mm-hmm. says, this is where late, a page later, you're wedded to this stupidity. And that's why you're rushing into politics, which I thought was pretty funny. Like you're, people who are wedded <laughs> into in stupidity rush into politics. It's like, oh, yeah. as opposed to, like you said earlier, Matt, the ones we, we want to like have to drag them in kicking and screaming, right? Because they don't actually want it, but we have to make, they have to be willing, right? The, the, the Cincinnatus and the Washington and the, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's the guys running into politics, screaming their head off that you're like, oh, yeah, you don't know that you don't know. And we're all going to suffer because of it. When he says this is the ignorance that causes bad things, this is the most disgraceful story, sort of stupidity. Is he distinguishing between ignorant, like ignorance where I know I'm ignorant and ignorance where I don't know that I'm ignorant? And that that's the bad one, and the other one's not bad because I know that I don't know. Were those yeah. the two the two that he's comparing there? That fits. I think so. I think that's what's in that whole section. Yeah. Well, who are the ones who make mis- who are making mis- the mistakes? Surely not the one who knows. Of course not. The sort of people who don't think they know how to do things make no mistakes in life because they leave those things to be other people. And surely it's not the ones who knows. And then. Yeah. Uh, it's those who don't know and know they don't know. Is there anyone left except those who don't know but think they do know? So this is the ignorance. Yeah, that's right before you said that this is the ignorance that causes bad things. This is the most disgraceful sort of stupidity. Not not knowing what you don't know. Which is why it's so important to have people close by speaking in. And right. it seems like that wasn't happening any longer for him. And Socrates shows up at just that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause he's got too much. Like he, he was better than those people. It seems like even Socrates acknowledged, like they were, they couldn't keep up with Alcibiades. And so they fell away. Mm-hmm. And so now he's just mm-hmm. floating in what he thinks he knows with no one to challenge that. Not a good place. Yeah. I, that's interesting because he because Alcibiades uh, says straight up in one nineteen b that these people that he's going up against in the assembly they entered politics as amateurs. There's no need for me to train and go to the trouble of learning. I'm sure mm-hmm. my natural abilities will be far superior to theirs. Socrates never mm-hmm. actually denies that that I noticed. He just says no. you're you're stooping. You're stooping to compete with the yeah. wrong people. Yeah, yeah. These are not your real competitors. And I, I that was another place too. I made a note that that knowing myself means assessing myself against the right people. Right. Like I can only know myself rightly if I know who my true competitors are and even my my real enemies. Right. You know, for 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 us, I mean, I think as Christians that that means recognizing that you know, our real enemies are not not the people that annoy us at work or <laughs> not our neighbors or our family or whatever, right? The, right. The, our real enemies are the demons, <laughs> you know, yeah. spiritual warfare and all that stuff, right? And we need to we need to prepare ourselves yeah. for that. I didn't know myself yeah. in that way. Not not can I outwit the annoying neighbor? That's not knowing <laughs> myself, you know. <laughs> Yeah, my biggest competition is not the person who's ignorant of God's revelation, right? It's it's that person is yeah. not my biggest competition. It's, right. it's the powers and principalities that, um, yeah. Well, and that's why I really love Socrates' line there. So the bottom of our page, but it's uh, 119C. He says, good God, my dear boy, what a thing to say. How unworthy of your good looks and your other advantages. <laughs> right, right. Like, you don't see yourself at right. all. You have missed, you missed it. Right. And, and Al-Khibiyadi says, what in the world do you mean, Socrates? What are you getting at? They, they, I mean, it's that blatant. They, they're they not seeing each other mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. And, yeah. and yet they and yet they continue. Yeah. I, yeah, they don't yeah. give up. They both yeah. want this. I mean, Socrates wants it for him or else he would have never approached. The God said it was time. Yeah. 
And I think because of that, Al could be he's like, how many other dialogues have we read where they, it's over? See, ya. Yeah. I got to go shopping. I got to go to town. I got to go to the court. Right. You know? Famously wash my um, hair. Wash it. Yeah. But he doesn't. So there is something in him that's ready. Yeah. yeah. And he gets Akibiades to agree to, to answer his questions at the beginning, right? Like, that, that maybe that, maybe that's part of it. Akibiades has made a commitment to see this through, this conversation through. Um, yeah. And he's shown him, and then he goes right into showing him how much he knows him. Like, I know what you're trying to accomplish, and you're not going to get there. Mm-hmm. And so now he's got Akibiades' attention. Um, but yeah, he basically starts telling him, you know, you're happy dominating triple a when you should be trying to get ready to play in the major leagues, right? Like that's, it's not worthy of your talents of your, of all the advantages we just listed before your family connections, your beauty, your intelligence, your height, your everything else that you're descended from gods. It's not worthy of that. And he's trained in writing and music and wrestling. Like there's, gymnastics the trivium and the quadrivium <laughs> in a way <laughs> like that's kind of how i saw it yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah so stop looking at the athenians and start comparing yourself mm-hmm. to the spartans and the persians right mm-hmm. right you gotta know your enemies to know yourself and then that's kind of the next few pages right is him yeah Artisan Walk, going yeah. through the persians walking him through that yeah that brings us kind of right up to where we where we stopped the week uh, but I love how he kept pointing out that we are, um, that you and I are private citizens, as were our fathers. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. he pulls it out versus the gods. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Because they can both, he, he, they can trace their lineage back to a god. And so, and, right. And so that's what he's standing on. He's like, yeah, but these guys can trace their lineage back to God, but they also have a lineage of kings, which you don't have. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think it's go like to, to bring it back to that. Uh, private citizens of a lineage is bringing it back to the humanness. Maybe I'm reading that into it, but that's that's what I saw versus the the godness. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's something that we all have in common of humanness, mm-hmm. and then you have to know which humans you're looking towards, yeah. right? Not your, not the fellow Athenians, but now we're got to go which of the Spartans yeah. and the Persians, that kind of humanness. She's noticed that section in one four one twenty two a with the what happens to the to the Persian boys when they're fourteen years old, or sorry, twice mm-hmm. seven years. This Royal is, tutors, this is amazing. The yeah. justest man teaches him to be truthful his whole life long. The most self controlled man teaches him not to be mastered by even a single pleasure. So that he can get accustomed to being a free man and a real king whose first duty is to rule himself, not be a slave to himself, which I think is to say not to be a slave to his appetites because right. uh, of the self-control connection, right? The bravest man trains mm-hmm. him to be fearless and undaunted because fear is slavery. So what do you, you got justice, temperance, courage. What are we missing? Why is this justice? Oh, self-control. Where's wisdom? Wisdom. The wisest. This is the wisest. The justice. The wisest. Oh, the first of them. I see it. The first of them instructs him in the worship of their gods. So wisdom is connected to worship Worship. of gods. Justice is to be truthful. Mm -hmm. Self control is to be to rule himself, and then courage is to be fearless and undaunted. Yeah, fascinating. It's it's sections like this that make it. uh, it helps you to see what was so easy for the early church fathers to grab onto and draw out of some of these traditions and find mm-hmm. how people were, prepare, were preparing people for the truth. So, yeah, this was a good one. She sent more, more 14-year-olds off to the wisest, the bravest, the uh, justice, right. and <laughs> most self-controlled people. If only we had some people who fit those bill for those things in, in society. Yeah, that's part of the problem is there's so few to find somebody that can be called the wisest and the justest and the most self-controlled and bravest. Those, those are hard to come by. Almost impossible to find one person with all four. I think, I don't know. I the uh, It'll be interesting to see if, um, I mean, I know that we've all read it, but, you know, for our listeners, it'll be interesting to see mm-hmm. if... Uh, 
how how if 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 Socrates overstays his welcome, <laughs> will will Kibiati's hear him out to the end, or will Socrates push him around too much? You know, yeah, that happens fairly often, right? The overstaying his welcome yeah. from the audience, but well, okay, so we've been gone for a while, and we're, we're up to the point where we stopped for the week. What would y'all suggest people kind of look for in this in this next section or the second half here? Or what are you looking to look at again, maybe? Yeah. Um, I, the second half is probably one of my favorite sections of any dialogue in all of the corpus. Nice. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I've, I've, I've wept multiple times reading this next section. <laughs> so it's, um, I, I, I like it a lot. Uh, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of, um, thinking about like, what is a man, what is a human being at that point? Right. Mm -hmm. So there's, so he's trying to get him to know himself, but to know himself, he has to know what, what is the self, what is the self that he needs to know about for, to know himself. But 122B, I think gives us a, gives us a, uh, not a, not a hint, not a clue, but just a straight up explicit statement of why Socrates is continuing, why he's doing this. He says, um, he says, your birth, your upbringing, and your education is of no concern to anybody to tell the truth. Nobody. That is except perhaps some man who may happen to be in love with you. And the, I think this, that, uh, I mean, I think that Socrates is obviously identifying himself here. I love you. I am willing to go through this with you, right? He says earlier um, um, in 119A, right at the end of A, going into B, he says, uh, very well, what do you propose for yourself? Well, Socrates asks Alkibiyad, what do you propose for yourself? Do you intend to remain in your present condition or to practice some self-cultivation? So he gives it to him right mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. I missed that the first time, and it's like, I, I missed that. Well, and hey, Sorry, go ahead. No, Kibiyad is kind of... <laughs> cheats let well let's discuss it let's discuss it together yeah. Socrates. he's not willing to commit yet right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well and right above where you just read matt he he kind of t tips what what the goal is right the, when he's talking about being self-controlled he says that he can get accustomed to being a free man and a real king whose first duty is to rule himself and not be a slave to himself and so it's, I think that ruling himself is the first tip we get to the question of this dialogue. And then on the next page is when he actually, uh, in 124, the trust me in the, in the, no, my excellent friend, trust in me and the Delphic inscription and know thyself. So the first time I read this was, was going through this with you, Matt. And I knew ahead of time that that was what the main question was supposed to be of this dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I read and was reading and I was like, am I reading the right dialogue? Cause you're like, you go for so long in here yeah. before we ever get to the main mm -hmm. question. I, like, I really stopped at one point and just made sure I wasn't reading the wrong, reading the wrong dialogue for that. And, um, and, but I think it's, it was so important for him to break down all of, uh, Akibiati's, that's that point of metanoia, right? Like he, like he has to get past all these layers of what he thinks he knows, um, and even who he thinks he should be comparing himself to, right? That very last part. To, otherwise, he couldn't have rolled out this question. He couldn't have come to this question without Kibiyadis because he wouldn't have heard it or seen it, I don't think. And so I think that's I think that's what I want to pay closer attention to again. The second this is my second time reading through this. Okay, now that he's preparing for that, like how did all that preparation uh is that allowing him to then take him into what's really the important question? Yeah. I mean, the first section here, this first half, oh, I mean, it's more than half, but half for us. Um, this first half is all, you know, it's it's knowing yourself. He doesn't use that term, like you said, until near the end there. But mm. it's the idea of knowing yourself. But at this point, it's all knowing yourself, like, circumstantially. Like, mm. what are my circumstances? My family, my wealth, mm. my height, my looks, my property, and also compared to the people around me. And Socrates kind of breaks all that down. And yet... And yet still leaves this connection that to know yourself, you need someone, you need someone who loves you. Um, so it's not, it's not like knowing yourself is something that you do all by yourself without regard for circumstances and other people, right? That, that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
so he like he like breaks down the dependency that 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 Alcibiades has on the comparison to circumstances and and others, but then still leaves open the door that this is a this is a communal thing, a friend, a, a thing that happens with friends. So one would expect then that the second half is going to be looking at the self as the self, right? Like what is, mm-hmm. what are you, the individual Alcibiades, and how does a friend help you see that? If Alcibiades will stick it out, not get scared. So going from that individual to the the need for community for another uh, at the at one twenty one D before you know he's he's getting into stories now. Uh, Socrates is, and he says, but when we are born, Alcibiades, even the neighbors hardly notice it. <laughs> so there's a there's an isolation mm. there, but he doesn't leave him alone. Mm. He doesn't mm. say, and when you were born. Mm. The neighbors hardly noticed you, right? Right, and isolating him from all of those other stories. But he says, "When we, mm-hmm. we're we're that's together." Good. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's when you asked the question, Brandon. What am I looking for? Like, I want to see where that plays out in the rest of the dialogue. Nice. It's so good. That's so good, Andrea. What a great, what a great catch. Because Plato doesn't teach us how to do this. He just shows it to us over and over and over again mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and it's just like sprinkled in there you know here and there are just little turns of phrase little little kindnesses and little gestures of love but also like tough love right no i'm gonna yeah. push you around yeah and also <laughs> you know look yeah. we were hardly noticed so when you were talking earlier about the the wrestling i'm thinking okay as a teacher Am I willing to do the hard work to wrestle with my students? Mm. Or do I just want them to get the answer? Do I just want them to be told? When do I give up too soon? Mm. And in a way, when yeah. I give up too soon, then I give up on them. Yeah. And I'm willing to wait to the, like, to wait to get to the question I really want to ask them, which is what he did here, right? He waited and waited till like, he was ready to start talking about knowing yourself. Mm. Do, I, do I love them enough to get them past all their own hangups and misconceptions? And, mm-hmm. and I think their music and their stories and, Oh, no, that, that yeah. may be something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you're, I mean, you're the thing you pointed out, Andrea, that line is, is the one that reinforces a page later when he says the one, one person who loves you that might be able to help you. Right. Referring to himself. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, mean, I think if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, this is, this is, this particular dialogue is kind of one of the, one of the kind of basic bases for the, the term platonic love, right? That kind of love that's, this is what they're talking about, right? Or this is what it originally talked about. Now we talk about it like guys and girls who aren't romantically interested in each other, but that's, there was more than that essentially. Right. But yeah. And that's another thing that I'm pondering, like, you know, that, what does guy friendship look like when they care for one another? Well, yeah. This mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah. But it's not easy. Like, and so it, it, it makes a lot of sense when I joined the apprenticeship and I saw guys wrestling verbally mm-hmm. in our classroom, you know, and at the hotel meeting room, I could see the wrestling happening and it wasn't physical. There wasn't no chest bumping, but it was it was all happening live. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and that was the first time I had seen it like that. Um, and it's guys figuring out: Do you do you see me? Do you care about mm. me? Will you go to the mat with me? Yeah. Am I worth it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we often think of that term "go to the mat" as in like fight next to me against someone else, but mm-hmm. it's it's really more that wrestling through together. And we have mm-hmm. other examples, but there are different there are different dynamics, right? Like in this case, Socrates is clearly an el- the elder to Tolkienbiades, right. but then you mm-hmm. have you know David and Jonathan, which are more peers, and so it takes different forms. Mm-hmm. And I think this is an important one that in our society we often miss. There's there's few and far between male mentorships. Uh, if you're especially if you're not on a sports team that happens to have a good coach, like that's kind of the, that's kind of the only place we've left it in our society. So. Yeah. Cool. I'm excited to look at that too now. Well, I like the I like that the the section ends 
with Alcibiades saying, mm-hmm. well, Socrates, what kind of self-cultivation do I need to practice? Can you mm-hmm. show me the way? What you said really sounded true. So mm-hmm. I, I marked that as another metanoia, right? Like, yeah, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, kind of the main one, maybe, yeah. but in this section, we'll yeah. see where where he gets to take them. Yep. All right. Well, thank you both for joining me this week, and thank you everyone who's listening. Um, we'll see you guys next week for the second half of Alcibiades One, and then we'll talk a little bit about the Q and A and maybe the next the next book. So, thanks for joining us, and happy reading.